G'day everyone, welcome to Life of Brian, dot dot dot, Mannix that is, except no substitutes, this is the original Life of Brian, dot dot dot, Mannix that is, and here is the original, the one and only, I think, Brian Mannix. Oh, g'day Kev, and I'm very excited, I'm uh, going on, I'm going on a date. Dum, 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 dum. I, I haven't quite organised the date yet, but I think I'm a good chance. I'm going to take out Deborah Lee Furness because <laughs> her and Hugh Jackman are no longer there and she's used to going out with an X-Man, so I reckon I'm a fair chance there. Uh, now, if Hugh Jackman is Deborah Lee's type, which we mm-hmm. assume after 27 or 28 years of marriage that he is, I'm not thinking that you're ticking all the boxes of the Hugh Jackman lookalike. No, nah, you want to see me wash with a bucket, <laughs> like in Australia. Just no, get I the bucket. I take, my, I take my shirt off, tip the bucket over me, there's chicks everywhere, just going, have a look at this guy. Wow. What about the well, the facial hair issue, Brian? Well, I can grey facial hair. Oh, okay. It's a little gr- it's a little grey, but I noticed a picture of you. He's got a bit of grey in his beard at yes, the moment. So no, that's um, true. That's true. Yeah. So that's very sad, actually. Um, now you might. Were, now the other the other question the other I've got to ask. I'm, I'm going to ask the tough questions, hmm. Brian. That's my job. Oh no! I think not the tough questions. Yes, I think I think maybe when it comes to the difference between you and Hugh, I think you might be a little more vertically challenged than Hugh. Well, that's there's probably a fair bit of truth in that, but I don't think Deborah's that tall. Oh, okay. Oh, she'd have to wear flats with me, though. Yeah, yeah, she can't wear wearing the stilettos. That's not going to work. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll find out when I take her to the drive-in next week. Right now, uh, as we peer more into the into the drive-in, oh jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's playing? Uh, Greece. Um. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a Sharknado film festival on, <laughs> Sharknado 1 to 4, all on the one night. You know, we'll get we'll get some McDonald's on the way and then we'll go and watch four, eight, nine hours of Sharknado. And, She's uh, going to love it. And Oscar and Ava, can, you can put them in the boots so you don't have to pay for them, the kids, so that'll be fine. No, <laughs> no you can look after the kids that <laughs> night. <laughs> Debbie's with me. You look after the kids. Me, Debbie needs a night out. That's right. Now, while we're peering into this uh, this lurid pond of uh, whatever it is called the life of Brian, uh, you you let slip on a recent episode of the other podcast we do, Rock and Roll, that you have been doing cooking. I have. I um, is that developing? I, well, not so much this week. No, I oh, um, I okay. cooked. I, it took me about a day and a half to clean up all the mess. So you'd, well, you cooked I, one thing and that was your that's your foray into cooking? Uh, well, I cooked a roast and I crumbed it with panko breadcrumbs and oh, um, then go. I did potatoes. Then I had a little bit of egg left over from my um, panko breadcrumbs mm. and I had some mushrooms. So I sliced up the mushrooms really finely and the eggs and then after my baked potatoes were nearly done, just about done, I tipped all this sh- – 
shit all over the thing. Because so, I figured, oh, well, it's a technical, egg and that's potato a technical shift, and egg and mushroom, that's going to work. So it just gave a little bit of extra flavour to the uh, – to the baked potatoes, and uh, it was a huge success. Manix Chef. To me. Manix Chef, oh. coming soon to a television screen near you. Yes, as soon as I finish um, Celebrity Married at First Sight, um, we'll be straight into my cooking show. Yep, Celebrity Manix at First Sight. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to change the name. All hey, good show coming up. A couple of great guests on the way, but I want to remind everyone about our very good friends at Murcotts. Uh, because we're oh. getting towards Christmas. If you're thinking about what you might want to buy someone for Christmas, what they might need, if kids are finishing school and you're looking for a, a great present to give them, give them a present that will make them a better driver because you'll feel better about that, believe me. Yes, it's one thing to be a good driver, but you want to have driving excellence. And the only way you can get that is by going to Murcotts and perhaps dialing them right now with this number, 1300 576. I'm saying it again, Kev. 1300 576 for Murcotts driving excellence. Murcotts.edu.au. Now, coming up, Colin Peterson, part two of our chat with uh, Colin, the BG. He was. One of the official, original members of the Bee Gees when they were a five-piece band. Um, he's got yeah. some great stories to tell, including an absolutely fabulous story about how Massachusetts, that song came together, which is one of, you know, the great Bee Gees songs of all time. Yeah, it took, it took, took them... Did they finish it? No, it took them a couple of days to write it, didn't they? They did, they didn't, it, did it in a They night. started and everybody else yeah. went out. Oh, well, it, it, Colin will tell us That's what the one. doing. And, uh, There's no well, point in me paraphrasing it. No, but also coming up, Leslie, remember this song? Leslie Kanawa back in uh, the late 70s in a band oh. called Promises. What a band. That Gee, they made an impact. I remember the first time we saw them, everybody just fell in love with her. And it's a really good song. And then the guy was a bit of a spunk too, so all the girls her fell brother. in love with yep. him. Benny, her brother. Yeah. Yeah, so, and because they were brother and sister, everybody said, well, they're not together. So... What they, do they do? Had something for, they had something for everybody. Yeah, uh, they weren't they weren't Tasmania's latest band. I'll tell you. So, Promises was the name of the group. Leslie Canow is uh, still around today, making great music in uh, in Los Angeles. So, I caught up with her. Uh, so, we're going to talk about Promises. We're going to talk about, and we're going to talk about her boobs. She talks about her boobs and what an impact oh. they made on uh, on the, I, on that song and on that clip and on her career. Well. I, I'm, I'm surprised that you talk because that's that was one of the first. You know, she had a magnificent, um, uh, you know, lumpy bits. And <laughs> in my in my Isn't I don't know, classy what, act, what, everyone. What's, well, what's the correct? <laughs> she had magnificent tits. Okay, but she's <laughs> so getting my, even classier as we go along. <laughs> in my countdown play, we had these actors. We did that song. We had these actors playing it. And because the tits were such an impact on everybody when we first saw it on Countdown or whatever it was, I thought, well, we've got to have a big impact here. So I got these big fake tits made up, and then at the end of the song, they there were lights in them so that it'd light up. So, oh <laughs> goodness! I'm glad you waited to share that story with after I'd done the interview with Leslie. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Um, Leslie, well, if you're you know, listening to this, uh, please, uh, you know, it's all all. Good. Yeah, you know, 
I haven't written and directed for a while now. I wonder if that's why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to uh, part two of our chat with Colin Peterson. He was a member of the BGS in the halcyon early days of the group. And, well, you know, the obvious question is what was that like? Well, and he was smiley too, but we'd done smiley last week, didn't we? So tell and us, what was it like to be in that band? Uh, well, it was overpowering in a way. You to have that stardom thrown at you, you know, you could hardly walk down the street in London and there'd be groups of fans around and you'd stop at a traffic light and my beloved Ferrari and, and fans would run across the street, you know, bang on the, on the window. But it was always very professional. We enjoyed the adulation, of course. But there was always that we can be better, that can be a better song, that can be a stronger song. In that respect, musically, it never got away from us. It, it was always very disciplined. No, it's very hard to put into words that sort of, you know, I had that stardom as a kid, but I, I, I had always had my mother on my side and... I, I One instance that stays with me, mum and I, we went to London trying to find an agent to further my career and we were there for quite some time. I went to school and all that business and we're walking down the street one day and a couple of people, I'm not dressed as Smiley, I did personal appearances and got dressed up as Smiley and that. This couple, they did a sort of double take and then they said to my mother, is this the little boy that is starring in this movie, Smiley? And mum said, yes, it is. This is Colin. And they said, oh, can we have his autograph? And they pulled out a bit of paper or whatever, I can't remember. And I signed, you know, to Mr. and Mrs. whoever it was. And uh, then they moved on. And just when they were just out of sight, mum stops me in the street and she said, I want, want to say something serious to you, Colin. You didn't spend enough time with those people. You were a bit offhand with them. Now, we were about to go into a shop or something. And I said, oh, but, but, sorry, mum. You know, I signed the autograph. And she said, you've got to remember, Colin, that if it wasn't for people like that, You'd have no career. The most important thing to you is being respectful and appreciating the fact that those people think you're very good at what you do. But boy, it was always boy, you know, when she's serious. She said, you're very good at what you're doing, Colin, and you take direction very well, but don't get carried away with this. Because never forget that there's always a kid down the road who can kick a football better than you. That's a jam, isn't it? Yeah. To a degree, that did carry over for me a decade later with the, the, being confronted with this pop stardom business. Yeah. You know, like keep real about it, you know. Don't let it take over your persona. That's her message. Yeah. Be yourself. Find yourself. It's a job. That, that's the message. 
those songs, Colin, when you when you think back on those songs that I, I reeled off before, you know, that were all massive uh, hits yeah. all over the world, is, is there a, a couple that immediately you go, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember recording that. That was that was kind of – we knew we had something special going on. I remember we were in New York. We didn't play all that often in, in America. I think we only did five concerts in America, interestingly enough. But we'd be doing all this promotion for weeks on end right across America. There's so many radio stations. Every day you talk to radio stations and stuff. And it was our last night in New York, and we're about to fly to L.A. the following morning very early. And Morris, he comes up and he says, I think because it's our last night, we we should all go out and have a big night, okay? Oh, but Morris, you know, we've been picked up at five in the morning or something. It doesn't matter, he said, you know, we can just come home and get on the plane and sleep and whatever. He was, he, he was a party boy, Morris. Dick Ashby, our road manager, who is still with Barry, by the way, after all these years oh, wow. as his personal manager, he was with us. Vince was at Maloney, our fifth member, was up for it. And, of course, I was up for it. And we turned to Robin and Barry and they said, we've got this idea for a song and I think we'll stay back tonight. You guys go out and do your thing and we've got this song we want to work on. We come out from the clubs and all this thing, maybe 3 o'clock in the morning or something, or a bit worse for wear, and Barry and Robin are still up. And they're they're lounging back on this settee, you know. These were palatial suites that we occupied at this time. They've got an acoustic guitar. There was always an acoustic guitar. We'd get into a limousine or something, and there was always an acoustic guitar there. And they said, "Listen to this," and the big smiles on their faces. And they played this tune just in two-part harmony because Morris was out. And I wanted, this is after, to love somebody. I thought, oh, why can't you write something that the kids can get up and dance to? You know, we've had New York Mining Disaster, to love somebody, ballads. Wouldn't it be great if you get kids on the dance floor? But, 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 but. I thought, that's a pretty melody, okay? Mm-hmm. Then I forgot about it completely. We finished the promotion tour, took several weeks. I should point out that we were, Stigwood would have given us two days off and we're back in the studio, okay? Yeah. And the usual pattern was we'd put down maybe three backtracks with rough vocals on them. And this is just basic tracks, keyboards and bass and drums and Barry's acoustic and stuff like that. We put down the back track and I was happy with the feel that I created. Uh, it, it's simple. You can't underestimate simplicity. Always be my motto. And then I remember we'd have these three back tracks um, to make full use of the orchestration, like when the orchestra came in, were written and conducted by Bill Shepard. And the first track that came up 
was this song that the boys had written in New York. And it was the moment I remember, I, I remember where I was standing in the control room, exactly the spot, left-hand edge of, 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 the, of the panel. And then it one, two, three, four, and he lifts his baton, and the intro come, comes in, and I thought, bloody hell, this is a huge record. The first few bars of a record are the most important part of a record. That's my theory. And I thought, my God, what a mood that creates. And this could be a big record. And the song was Massachusetts. <laughs> and, of course, as you know, it's history now. That went on, on to top the charts, so I think, in six or seven countries around the world. Yep and sold about 5 million copies, and that was the record. I don't think we'd crack the top 10 before that. That was the turning point for us, was Massachusetts. There was a, a, a kinship with the five of us. As a band, like we've been playing for a long time, Vince with the Aztecs, and, and myself from a little kid with the drums and, and, and the Gibbs, they were kids when they got up on stages and stuff like that. So we were very accomplished. And a lot of the stuff we did was pretty much first take. You know, we'd tidy up a few little things, but th there was a, a, a heart, a soul to our recordings. I think that's why, you know, great songs live forever. Yeah. But I, I, I think great performances a, a very important part of it as well. When it all fell apart, I thought I'd like to produce some records, okay? I pick up a singer-songwriter called Jonathan Kelly. I hear him singing in a restaurant. He was singing lots of Dylan songs and, and stuff like that, and then I suddenly hear a couple of original songs, a good voice, not an exceptional voice, but he had a, a real warmth and honesty in his voice. And he had the ability to really involve an audience. And he had a great sense of humour and a great repartee. And I thought that there's real potential here for Jonathan. So I took on the role of manager and producer and did an album with him, and it was sort of critically, the attitude was it's a good album, but unfortunately there wasn't the single there. And the closest I got with Jonathan was a record that I made with him uh, called Don't You Believe It. It was a 12-bar boogie thing. And great players, Ashton Gardner and Dyke, you remember them? Yeah, yeah. Resur well, Vince was in the, in that lineup for a little while, I think. He, well, that was very brief. I don't think he played live with them. No, I don't. Um, he was on one of the records. But yeah, but anyway, it needed a, a lead guitar line to hold it all together, to give it some distinction. And Tony said, oh, Eric would love this. Oh, 
And, of course, you know who he's talking about. Now, I'd only ever, because Fig would manage the cream as well, but we didn't mix socially with the cream. So Tony must have played a rough mix or something of, of this song. And then Eric turns up with his little Fender practice amp, right? And I'm thinking, uh, where the, where's the Marshall stack? Right? <laughs> aren't <laughs> so you, aren't you Aaron Clapton? Shouldn't you have something bigger <laughs> than that? Is Stig were taking all your money as well? <laughs> but the sound he got out of this little practice amp, mate, it was just absolutely genius. And he played a bottleneck part over this. He came up to me and he said, Colin, this is really, really great. The lyrics are great and stuff like that. And he said, uh, I know you're in conflict with Stiggy, right? But... Mate, if if you can pull off, well, there was Top of the Pops, right? That was the key to everything at yep. that time. And he said, uh, if you can pull off Top of the Pops, he said, don't hesitate to tell them that I'm, I'll put my hand up, right? Um, and so I go along to see the producer and this Top of the Pops, and I said, uh, oh, do you like the record? And he said, yes, I really do like the record. It was getting quite a bit of play, but Top of the Pops was the key. And he said, okay, you've got the show if Eric turns up. Uh-huh. And then I, I get on the phone to his house and speak to, I don't know, a girlfriend or, you know, what, whatever. He says, oh, Eric's just gone off, off to America. He won't be back for three weeks. Uh-huh. <laughs> So I miss that, that showbiz, isn't it? Yep, um, such is life. You, you, you yeah. give an opportunity so things fall over, but you just try and keep going. So anyway, I decided to come back to Australia and uh, the, the relationship with Jonathan fell over and I started working for EMI. They hadn't had a hit, you know, like oh, a few years. They were making their money out of licensing and, and you know, uh, overseas product, basically. I found this song, Eric Carmen song. I could just hear Mark Holden was his name, and he looked great, okay? As we all know, this is important in entertainment, and he loved the song. There's a couple of little flaws, if I... Haven't heard it in years, but there's a couple of little notes I, I shouldn't have let go, right? But it did have a lovely warmth to it, and the orchestration was really nice, and that turned out to be a big hit for both him and me in Australia. Never going to fall in love Never again. Never going to fall in love again, that's right. And so I finally got my hit record as a producer, and that was <laughs> That was such a thrill. It really was. And then I had another hit uh, with Carol Lloyd in Queensland, mind you. But that was top top five, um, Storm in My Soul. So uh, that was a lovely feeling that uh, I pulled off a couple of hit records. And then I had a falling out with a few people at EMI. And I thought, oh, stop this. I'm walking away from it. 
and I'm, I'm just going to make a living doing something else. Thank you so much for your time, Colin. It's been a pleasure to catch up, mate. It's uh, it's really nice to relive those fabulous memories of that uh, f- absolutely wonderful time in uh, Australian music history, and you were such a mammoth part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Peterson, fantastic to have him. I know you caught up with him at uh, one of the Go Set lunches uh, there on the Gold Coast, uh, and uh, he's he's going well. Good to hear. He, yeah, no, he's um, real eloquent man, and um, what a wonderful life he's had. Yep, and you can see him when he appears with that uh, BG's band that he talked about uh, all around the country. So uh, we'll uh, we'll keep you posted on our Facebook and uh, social media platforms when Colin is appearing with uh, with the band. Uh, now our next guest is Leslie Kanawa, who we mentioned at the start of the show. Uh, came to prominence uh, as a member of Promises uh, back in that late 1970s. Had a massive, massive hit record uh, in this country with "Baby It's You." So let's uh, let's have a chat and discover what she's up to these days. What is she up to these days, Keith? Hello. Hello, Leslie. How are you going? Reading uh, from Silver Lake. <laughs> now, have you ever been here? Have you ever actually been? T- 
Did, you know, the saddest thing is I have never been there. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ashamed of myself. You know, I never went because it's, it's, you're my biggest, you're my, you and New Zealand are my biggest countries. Yeah, for, absolutely. For love and all that kind of good stuff. I will think of an answer, but my daughter's been there many times. Oh, okay. Now your daughter's an actress, isn't she? She's an actress and a writer and a director, and she's doing all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, so how come you never? How come you never made it to Australia, given the success that you had here, with a you know a number one, number two song in most states and uh, and big in New Zealand? So how come it never happened? Well, a record company shortly after that folded. It was a, a part of EMI, so it called Ear European Artist Repertoire, and apparently they they weren't very happy with each other because they didn't I don't really know that I shouldn't say anything because I don't really know for sure but I they're supposed to share publishing and somehow something didn't happen so I'm not sure but the label was no longer there and then I uh, I went to Capitol and did an album with with my brothers but then one brother quit and then it was me and my big brother and then they never released that album and then I got signed for solo thing on Capitol and then that didn't work out and then I got in another, in another band called Precious Metal, an all-girl band, you know, and then I just, I, I got pregnant and I had a baby and, you know, I just thought about, you know, if, if Precious Metal would go, you know, then I'd have a band, Yeah. you know, and it just all folded so quickly. The, obviously, the the demise of Ia as a, as a recording company was the reason that Baby Chew never got released properly at the time when it should have been released in America and, and you missed out on... on I would imagine what it would have been a huge hit wherever it would have been released. Oh, thank you. That, that's awesome. I, I I appreciate it so much more now. I mean, I appreciated it then, but I just felt like that. You know, they have. I mean, you just feel like maybe it's too much, and everyone's making a mistake. <laughs> that thing where you the imposter syndrome, where you think someone's going to tap you on the shoulder any minute now and say, "No, you're not wanted here." Off you go. Go back to where you. Yeah, I know. So embarrassed because I think it's very normal, and I think I just took the normal route, yeah. you know. And I was, it, it wasn't like I didn't feel sheltered in 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 a in a way, you know, like in a I didn't I didn't know whatever. Because the it's the okay. funny thing about it was is that your your success was you were massive in Germany, massive across Europe, massive in Australia and New Zealand, and then there was that big that that hole where was it? Did it get played in Canada and get released in Canada? I never heard that. I thought not in the United States and not in England. Yeah, okay, that's weird because I mean it's a, it's a, it's an obvious pop smash hit. Everything about it, the film clip, every every you, you ticked every box. Um, it deserved to be a worldwide hit, not just a, a hit in the kind of selected countries that have finished up being a hit in. Uh, well, thank you so very much. I've heard one story that the writing of it wasn't actually, you know, you sit down and create a masterpiece. It was more happenstance than it was actually kind of like a scientific project. Okay. I don't know if my brother's memory will be the same as mine, but I I had like, I was walking around singing Baby It's You, that whole chorus to myself with no music. And I just had it. And then my mom had a, my mom and dad are always had music park, just parties, and there's always pianos, drums. There's always everything there, pretty much. So Benny started playing his part, and he was doing that, and I just started singing with him. You know, I just, I just when he came in, I just sang my part, and that it was pretty organic. And yeah, not not written like um, we're going to sit down and 
really think, you know. Was that was he that <laughs> was that was that how you wrote most of the stuff? Did it just kind of happen, or did you did you have a more organised? That's just such yeah, a song out of the blue. Time. Yeah, there there are there are more organised things that happen, you know. But uh, I was more if I wrote something, I, w- I would just walk around and think of it, and I would just start singing by myself. That because I didn't really play, I didn't want to play piano. But we all we all learned piano. You know, yeah. we all learned all this. And I could play chords and stuff like that. Yeah. What What did yeah. you know about the, I mean, how much, it was pre-internet and pre, you know, the global universe being able to do what we're doing now uh, back in that late part of the 70s. What did you know about how big the song was in, in this part of the world? I really, I couldn't fathom it. There's no way. I thought, oh, it's a hit somewhere else. And I didn't know the place. I mean, I didn't know. And, uh, okay, I'll tell you the other thing that made me kind of shy about it was that they made a big deal out of my body, my boobs. You know? yeah. And so that just scared me more than anything. It just, I just felt like, oh. It, but but I didn't realize that if I would have had an ounce of humor and understanding, you know, it would have been like, uh, Pam Anderson or something, but I, I, I didn't really want boobs. So it was like this whole thing. It was, and I, I had a shirt buttoned up to here and it was so funny. Like it was, it, I think it's kind of fluky that it, that I took it. So it, whatever. And it, I'm, I feel I'm different now, but you know, still the same. I've never stopped having bands and doing music and writing songs. Not, not even for like a whole year. I never stopped. I mean, did uh, the the focus on your on your body uh, did that did that have a kind of detrimental effect on you in terms of you shied away from the limelight a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I wish it didn't, but it did. And I don't think anybody meant malice by it, but it was just, you know, it, no, I guess you don't know, but yeah, it <laughs> it <laughs> I didn't I didn't look. Ex- I just, no, I, it, it tried, I thought, oh, then there was a rumor that went out shortly after that, that I was killed in the car accident and I was beheaded somewhere, right? Did you hear that? No. Did you Google? Oh my God, they even think I'm dead, right? So I thought, oh, I'm just going to start another band. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I, I did, uh, I joined that, the band uh, Precious Metal, yep. you know, but I, oh, before that, I was also in another band, uh, called Brenda Star first and then Roxy Roller. And that was with a bunch of guys. And then I thought, I, I just want to be in a band with a bunch of girls. It'll be comfortable yep. more. And it, it was really fun. But, yeah, I wish I wasn't so sensitive. That would have been a real a real help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after Baby Chew and the success that you had with Baby Chew, record companies tend to go, can you give us another 10 of those? Did you, did you have yeah. that kind of pressure? I, I think from uh, Capital a little bit, yeah. When we got transferred over there, and then I just thought, started thinking it's funny, so I wrote something called "Baby, It's Me," and then I, <laughs> it was really stupid. And it, it, I'm not really good at being told what what to do, so it just didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, the band was you and your two brothers. Did that was that yeah. was that problematic? Because sometimes you know you, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family sometimes. And that did that. Oh no, my brothers they were great. My yeah. my brothers are are like the coolest brothers. They're just the greatest. They're yeah. really wonderful. My dad was a weird one. Did you know that I asked? My dad would want play keyboard. He was a really great piano player. He was always trying to make it in the music business. 
I asked my dad if he wanted to be play in our band. Right. And he wasn't our manager, but people just assumed, oh, he's your dad. And they wrote in Wikipedia, their dad was their manager. My dad was, you know, he was not our manager, but I didn't say, ever say anything because I don't wanna, didn't want to hurt his feelings. But he, he, he was a little bit um, odd. I don't know. So he said when we got to Germany to start our tour, I'm telling him, this is so funny, these questions. Um, he said, uh, well, we're not going to play until we get paid the full amount. And we said, um, since I was kind of in charge of, I started it, it was kind of my project. My brothers are really smart, really musical, and the, the greatest in the world. And so th- we all did everything together. But I said, no, uh, we're going to play, and then they'll they'll give us the other half. You know, that's how we had it worked out. He goes, no, 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 we're doing it like this. Because if we don't do it like this, we're going to, I quit. And I said, but if we play, we'll get paid. <laughs> so, so, so before we played one gig, he quit. Oh, really? Jeez. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. And and so I couldn't explain stuff to my dad because he's, he's old, really old school. The dads are the boss and yeah. stuff. So it was not a good thing. I, my brothers and I always got along great so that was never them it was just just these extra men people <laughs> <laughs> well, which is why you wanted to set precious metal up by obviously as a as an all-girl band well i didn't set it up i joined it i i saw oh, an okay. ad and i thought oh, God. yeah and it was so fun and i go hmm, I'll, I'll, I'll audition for these girls you know and just see what, what happens and it worked out great it was so it was actually very fun and they had a producer. I got along with everybody really great. So that was super fun. And we did that for a long for for like four albums. So is Sunshine Junction Band now the one the one that is is where you're musically at now or where are you at musically? Yeah. That's my band. That's less it's the first time I've ever said anything with my first name being like Leslie Knauer and yeah. so it's, we're going between so it's like Leslie Knauer's Sunset Junction Band, you know, it, it, I have a website that's lesliekenauer.com. Yep. And then in there, there's Sunset Junction Band, Canary. Canary was my band for like 15 years that I had um, where, where I was learned how to play guitar and I wrote all the songs. And and that was just, it was a, it was an artistic gift, like just for me to learn everything and have, and say, write words that I wanted to write, everything I did, I always did. But as you grow up, you write different about, you write about things differently as you grow up. Because yep. everything I wrote with promises, I felt, I, I wrote it and I felt it. And it was, I was coming from a teenage heart. And we we were, we were writing that album like three and a half years before it you know, was a hit. It took a long time to get it all together. Yeah. I met the, the producer, I was... I wanted a record deal and I, I wasn't sure how to do it. So I, I had a friend and then I was sleeping in the tape room in this studio uh, in, in Los Angeles called Quad Tech. And this guy was producing this other girl and they didn't get it. That, and it was, so she's going to go home now. It's midnight. You know, we're done. And I said, I can sing that. Uh-huh. And so that was on, that was a Nick Lowe, Ian Gom song called I've Got the Real Thing. And so that was my first song that I ever sang in, in the studio and, and that got turned into promises you're only what 15 or 16 when you were doing that I, I think I was 17 okay yeah and I, and and, uh, and then after uh, canary uh, during canary I had a couple of strokes so then I that set that, that set me back a little bit you know as was, in as in the brain strokes yeah oh, and I wow. had a hole in my yeah. And that, that, that kind of set me back. Like that was like, um, well, three and five, I had the strokes 2003 and five and, and 
seven, I had a, I had finally had heart surgery because I had no health insurance, none. And so I got this, I was on this free list to get this thing put in my heart and they did it. And, uh, then didn't ha- then everything's been okay. Oh, wow. Gee whiz. Yeah. How, how have you been your uh, whole long career? Uh, go, good. So I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. The success of – did you make any money out of Promises? I mean, people think when you have a massive hit record like that is, and it was massive in this country, does that kind of finance – I can't remember. No, it didn't do anything then. But I have to tell you what it's doing now is um, I have a friend who's helping me collect money but because they're the labels sometimes hate to part with – with old artists <laughs> depart with stuff and i'm um it's from the past seriously from the past so they're not like oh here's your money so my my uh, friend toby mamus who is a, like a personal manager for alice cooper he was was managing us for a little bit before and i asked him could you help me with this and new zealand put um baby it's you on the commercial ah. for a, yes that's fate's beer commercial and now that's that's the money that I've seen, and it's you know that's it's awesome. It's a very unexpected surprise, you know. Oh, good. And, then, and yeah, that's nice. So, you know, I'm i I've always done stuff, so I'm I've always you know I'm the, not complaining. Is is the reverse part of that that uh, it, it's not a song because it wasn't a big hit in America. It's not a song that's hung around your your head when you've gone to do Canary and Precious Metal and all those things. It hasn't been. Oh, you've got this kind of the ghost of Christmas past behind you. Yeah, I, I didn't have the ghost of Christmas past because nobody knew there was a ghost. Of <laughs> but don't you past. don't you do the song now? Are you you're performing the song? Well, you I were, have. I, I did it with. I did it with Canary at okay. the fourth CD, and we did a kind of punky version of it. Yeah, you know, we're, no, uh, there's no, there's no guitar solo in it, but I'm, it's just like just all guitars. No, there's no keyboards in it, right. and and it's. It's really fun. It's a tiny bit different. And um, I worked it up with Precious Metal because I was thinking, you know, before COVID, we're thinking, um, well, if we do, if we go to Australia and New Zealand, we should learn Baby It's You. Yeah. And so we did. That's not doing anything right now. So I'm, I'm enjoying writing and doing stuff with, I have a YouTube channel. It's everything my, my Al, my best friend, my boyfriend, um, and I do songs together. Leslie Knauer YouTube thing, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's that's real. That's actually really fun. You know, we did a. There's so a really, I, I, there's a really lovely song that you do um, with Al um, called "Regrets" that I, I really, really like. I'm, I'm surprised you haven't done a bit more. With I that love one. you. That's a that's a great song. I yeah. know, and Al's that's basically Al's song. And I, I read, wrote the parts that I'm singing with him. We we put that together. But yeah, he he likes to do videos, and he's my bass player in Sunset Junction, and um, but he doesn't really. He's not uh, hot on being a, a solo artist or anything like that. But I'm, I'm, I talk him into playing him sometimes, and he does. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I saw yeah. an unusual video of, of you on stage. It was at the Whiskey A Go Go with Mickey Dolans. Um, there's a video. Oh, that's that's at the Mint, and that's when Al, Al asked me to get married. Yeah. Yeah, what, I had no. What is idea. Mickey Dolans doing on the stage with you and Al um, in the middle of your marriage proposal? Well, it was his idea that Al do it there and uh, that Al, how, how Al did it. His saxophone player was playing in our band too. Right. And that's why he was there. Okay. So right. we played some songs. Did, did, did you see other ones when we played I'm a Believer? No, I didn't see that. All I saw was that little I, marriage. Oh, yeah, because I'm, no, I'm, I'm a that, man. That, put that on, but we, we, he came up to play with us at our reunion 
I think 214, 214, something like 2014. Yeah, and he dates are dates and things are my not a strong point. Uh, uh, so that was that was a really fun gig. What do you what do you speaking of gigs? What are your memories of uh, the uh, the Capricorn Village in Reno? Ah, oh, is that like the was, f- is that like the first gig proper gig you ever did? That was the first. That was the very first gig. My brothers and I we played all night. I think we started at like it was like eleven o'clock till four o'clock. Yeah, prime and we time. Did four or five sets, prime time. <laughs> yeah, and we lived in Tahoe, and the gig was in Reno, and. Uh, Oh my God! It was so much fun. It was, it it was. We were just I I, I think I was sixteen, or Benny was fifteen, and Jed was seven. No, maybe Jed was eighteen. He was the old. He was like he's the one that could actually do stuff. Yeah. So that was crazy fun. All these guys would go around, line up in front of Jed and say, "Jed, we want to f you." <laughs> <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> and, and am I right? Your three signature songs um, were uh, Linda Ronstadt, "You're No Good." Yeah, I think it's, it was. You're no good. Probably Heat Wave. You're no good. Yes, go on. Um, yeah, Edgar Winters. Mm-hmm. Edgar Winters' "Free Ride," which is a great song. That was the first. That was, those were the first three songs I sang in our band, and that which I think we called "Flight," which played at Capricorn Village. Yeah. And and Kiki and Kiki D's song, which I think oh, you still yes. do. Oh, I got the music in me. Yeah, it's that best song. Baby, it's you still gets played on the radio here. So, but but you don't have that thrill of of hearing it on the radio when you're driving down the down the highway in California. It's a pity because it still sounds good on the radio now. Wow, that's that's. I wish I would have gone to Australia. If that that if if I have regrets, that would be one of them. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because we did go to Germany, and you know I've been to Germany many times with my parents because they were both from there, and so we. Yeah, well, the Australians can come and see you because I, I believe you do a bit of busking in West Hollywood when the when the mood takes you. <laughs> I do that. I I do that down the street here in Silver Lake. I do it anywhere. Uh, yeah, which just really ridiculously silly fun, totally fun. The um the the breakup of promises was that was that a musical breakup where you wanted to to go more uh, sort of more or less keyboardy and more guitar-y and yeah I think I said it more more harshly then but uh, uh-huh. I'll say it softer now yeah I I wanted to be in a guitar band yeah you know you grow up in a piano family you know, Jed played guitar so I, I, yeah I just wanted to be in a little bit of a uh, a more rock rock and rock band. What are your brothers doing these days? Are they doing anything musically? Um, Benny's still he Benny. I don't think they're not, they're not doing public gigs. They don't have bands, but they're both diligently always playing and singing. You know, Jed's writing and he's got a studio. He living in Germany and Vietnam, and so he is now. He just sold his piano store in Vietnam and some other property, and so he's going to be living full time in Vietnam. He loves it there, and he's, he's married and. Uh, so he he's he loves it there. Yeah. And Benny has a piano store here. Uh, has a couple, one in Reseda and one in uh, Agora. And uh, he he writes with his son. The family, the family thing. Hey, listen, it's uh, it's been fabulous to catch up with you. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and and having a chat about uh, about where you're at now and where you were before. Yeah, I love music still. It's the I 
I practice. I'm like I rehearse. Like I probably rehearse five times a week, and Al a little less. And I've got my best friend is my drummer, my girlfriend, yeah. and uh, so we're a three piece right now, and we're doing gigs. And I'm you know hoping to add more songs and do an album, and I'm. That's what we're up to. Yeah, no, it's lovely. Thank you, Leslie, for, uh, for for chatting to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you too. Thank you so much for caring at all. Health and happiness Bye. to you. See ya. See ya. I said nothing. I let it go. True peace is hard to find. So that's Leslie uh, with uh, Regrets and uh, we'll play Baby Chew in its entirety to finish off the show, a bit of a powerhouse pop ending to the show this week, Brian. Mm, what a, that was a great interview, Kim. Uh, what a lovely lady. I was quite yeah. impressed. Yeah, and yeah, good, to see, good. good to see the families are still involved in the uh, in the music industry. So uh, you can uh, you can see her on a uh, maybe, maybe as she mentioned there, busking in uh, in West Hollywood at some stage if uh, if they don't ever actually get to come out here. Now, did you, what did you, hang on, what did you say she's doing in West Hollywood? She does a bit of busking every now and again, as she said in, in, oh, in the chat. Uh, I, when, thought you, I thought you said busting, <laughs> and I'm thinking leave it, bust out of it for crying out loud. Yeah, enough about that. Um, All right. Now, Murcotts, uh, our very good friends, uh, they, uh, they will be having some special offers around the Christmas time, but to get in now and uh, grab a gift certificate or check out, uh, you know, the – Defensive driving courses, um, the retraining courses that they do, all on their website, mercots.edu.au, or you could give them a call. one 576 What that number one more time. one 576 Do you wake up in the middle of the night yelling that number out? I, well, I, yeah, I do, actually. I um, That or... Um, one eight hundred, call yeah, me yeah, now. Yeah, no. <laughs> Very similar, of course. Very similar you services know, offered the, by well, both. Well, the, the difference is, <laughs> you ring up one three hundred triple five five seven six, and you get Mercot's driving excellence. How can I help you? Yeah. Whereas you ring up my one eight hundred one, and you get. I just got out of the shower and I'm drying my naked body. No, Mark Lane instructs all the staff to answer the phone like that at Murcotts. That's that's exactly how they do it. What? <laughs> that's how they do it. You ring one three hundred five 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 and six and they go. Oh. 
I've just got out of the passenger seat. You'll never get. Anyway, um, oh, give Murcott the a call. Seatbelts caressing my body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, coming up in uh, coming episodes of this wonderful, wonderful show, Les yes. Gock from Hush is going to join us. The almighty Les Gock. Yes. Oh, he's great. I love Les Gock. He's yep. great. He is. And a he's a re- he's a re- it was a really good interview too. It, it, he's a really interesting guy and he's done so much more than I thought. One of your very good uh, bandmates, uh, idols, uh, Gino Vanilli's going to have a chat to us. And... Oh, K- Kirky will be beside himself. He loves Gino Vanelli. And Stuart Cooper is going to join us to talk about his book and his times and his life. And he has uh, really done some incredibly interesting things. And we've got a few other little bits and pieces coming up as well. So some good episodes coming up. Brian, that's it. Uh, uh, enjoy the sunshine on the Gold Coast. There's sunshine everywhere at the moment, so we're all enjoying it. Uh, and uh, take care of yourself until the next time. Thanks, Kev, and keep on rocking, everybody. We're going to finish with Leslie Kanawa and her band Promises... Here you go. Relive. Oh, rock on. Baby, it's you. You're here with me now, but you say-